Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. All right, so when we talk about prayer, my friends, it's obviously important. I mean, if you came to me and you said, how do I grow close to God without prayer? Like, I'm committed to growing close to God, but I'm not sure about this prayer thing. I'd be like, man, your question is broken. You know, that would be like me coming to you and saying, how, could I, how do I get close to my wife without talking to her? I'm tired of talking to her. Is there a way I can get closer to her without talking to her? You'd be like, you're nuts, right? And yet, I feel like for a lot of us, prayer is this thing that's an enigma because it feels either very formal or very foreign, or it's like I'm supposed to talk to somebody who's not there. What does this look like? What is prayer? What does it mean to connect with a God who's invisible, um, who sometimes feels like he's present but also sometimes doesn't? And it's very interesting, too, if I look through Scripture um, at the example that I see, Old Testament, New Testament, all of that, Um, if I go all the way back in the book of Exodus, and I know some of you are Bible nerds and some of you aren't, so you Bible nerds will love this piece, okay? But if I go all the way back to Exodus in the tabernacle, which was how the Old Testament people of God worshiped, um, in the holy place was this altar, didn't look exactly like that, but it was like this table that was called the altar of incense. And God specifically told him to build it. Every one of these pieces, he specifically told him to build. And this was right outside the area where the Ark of the Covenant was, which represented the presence of God. And so the altar of incense represented the prayers of God's people. And they would light it in the morning and they would light it in the evening. This was 1500 BC, Moses' day. Okay, here's the reason why I want you to hear that. The people of God did that in the tabernacle, which then became the temple, which then became the second temple, they did that for centuries. That was a representation of the prayers of the people. As a matter of fact, David, 500 years later, says, may my prayer be set before you like incense in Psalm 141.2. What do you think he's talking about? It's that image of the tabernacle, the smoke that's being raised up to God constantly. As a matter of fact, this is what's kind of crazy. If you go to Jesus' day, I mean, we're talking... 1,500 years, you guys, a millennia and a half later after Exodus. This is what it says in Luke 1 as it's talking about Jesus getting ready to be, to be born on the scene. It says, uh, Luke 1, this is 8 through 10. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, they're talking about the temple, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So I want you to hear that because 1,500 years later, 1,500 years after Exodus 30, when when God tells them to do that, they're still doing it. When Jesus is walking around, they're still doing morning and evening altar of incense lighting that represent the prayers of God's people being lifted up. It's this beautiful passage, too, all the way in Revelation. So I go to Revelation 5.8. It says that the elders will be holding beautiful golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you guys, all the way from Exodus until Revelation, we have this picture of our prayers being offered up as this fragrant thing to God, this thing that connects us between he and I. Well, what about Jesus? What kind of an example did Jesus give us in this life? Let these things just, I don't know, wash over you a little bit. These are, we don't, we don't have 
like Jesus's life in the Gospels is not exhaustive. We do not have every moment, and yet we have at least this many moments of him seeking out the Father. We have Mark 1, where he spends 40 days in the wilderness. Another place in Mark 1, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 3 and Luke 6, he goes out to a mountainside and spends the night. Matthew 14, after John the Baptist is killed, Jesus goes by boat to a solitary place to process. His friend is dead. Mark 6, Jesus dismisses the crowds and goes up to the mountainside to pray. And Luke 22 tells us that the Mount of Olives is a spot that Jesus went to all the time with regularity. The moment before he dies, what do we see him doing? We see him in John 17 praying with his disciples and then going off to the hillside of Gethsemane where he will struggle with the Father about the task that sits out in front of him. You guys, Jesus sought out spaces to be with the Father, to communicate with him. So you you need those two, and we're not that good at it. And so, I mean, in the olden days, when we thought about prayer, you know, if you see, like, you know, 1950s things, it's people at night, right beside their bed, with their hands folded, just like this, sitting on there and and walking through the prayers that they needed to say that day. We've kind of lost those traditions. I don't know too many families that enforce that kind of prayer. But what are the rhythms of prayer in your world? What are the rhythms of calling out to God? What should that actually look like? I'm going to spoil what I'm ready to talk on tonight just by saying this. What I'm giving you tonight really is just a pretty much straight Bible study on prayer. This is what Scripture tells you you should do and what you shouldn't do. I am asking of you, this is my application point, which is supposed to be at the end. What I'm asking of you is to commit with me to finding five places this week, five times, where you will will pray, maybe in a way you never have before uniquely. I want you to put them on your calendar. I want you to write them down and be like, on Thursday at 9.30 a.m., this is, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to write a prayer. I'm not talking about, this doesn't have to be three hours of your day. I want you to sit down and be like, what is it like to write a prayer? I'm going to sit in the library and just write a prayer out to Jesus. And if that's three sentences, great. And if it's three pages, great. Just tell them what's going on in your world. Or maybe you sit in a public place, you're committed to, you know, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and I'm going to be, I'm just going to sit in the corner with my eyes open and I'm going to ask God to draw me to people who need prayer and I'll pray over them in that moment. Really cool to do that, how the Holy Spirit just kind of directs you to pray things for, man, God, I see, I don't know why I, I can sense that that person is hurting today. Would you bring peace to them? Would you do that? And will you find those five spaces? I'm going to give you the how a little bit in this, but I'm asking, it really won't matter if I teach you more about prayer tonight and it doesn't follow somewhere in your rhythm or your life this week. I've been driven more to pray, you guys, in the last four days than I have in a very long time. But that's external. That's external circumstance pushing me there. I'm asking you to initiate. So let me dig in. Let me dig in, but I'm gonna, I'll get back to that ask later, okay? This comes out of a text where Jesus is talking to the disciples in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this to them. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. He didn't really care for hypocrites, Jesus, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. You guys, that's a great sentence. Don't heap up empty phrases. 
Don't, no need to be wordy, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Jesus says. Now, I want to interrupt the text a little bit because Luke actually adds another little flavor in in his gospel that I want you to hear. And so I'm going to pop that up there. This comes out of Luke 11. Same thing. This is the, the Lord's Prayer in a slightly different form can be found in Luke. But Luke introduces it this way. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, and I, I want to talk about that piece a little bit tonight too because I love that Jesus' disciples come to him and say, would you teach us? Teach us how to pray? So Jesus responds with this prayer, and I would like you to say it with me. He says, pray then like this, all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Excellent. Okay, a couple things in this. First of all, why does that bottom part look different? Um, Because there's a good chance in your Bible this doesn't appear in Matthew 6. Okay? And the way that the Bible translation works, we have all of these different manuscripts, and the older they are, the more reliable they are, because, you know, you make copies of copies of copies, and the more copies you get, the more mistakes can be there. And we have a lot of Greek manuscripts. But the very first time that this was translated into English in the 1500s was in the King James, which is why you maybe, when you have heard this prayer before, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, you know, the, the lots of these and thys and thous, and the, it's called Elizabethan English, it's old, okay? And so um, when they did that, they translated this from what we would call newer Greek scripts, which had that little line in them, but the older manuscripts don't have it. And so most, uh, most Bibles that we have today look at the oldest manuscripts, and they say, well, this isn't in the oldest manuscripts, and so it would be wisest not to include it. Now, here's what I want you to hear. This is biblical, it actually comes from 1 Chronicles 29.11. And so what we believe happened in the early church was that they added, they used this as a doxology, and they would speak this and preach this as church. They would say this together, maybe even sometimes sing it together. And they added this little doxology part at the end as a part of that prayer out of this verse. And then somewhere along the line, as they were continuing to copy Greek manuscripts, they just added that because the church was using it so much, they added it to the prayer. So the reason why I say all that out loud is we're going to be saying this every week together, and we're going to include this. And I don't want you to be curious as to why are we including a part of Scripture that's not in my Bible. Well, because traditionally it is included in the Lord's Prayer, and it is beautiful, and it is biblical, okay? It just doesn't come out of Matthew 6. So that's why that's there. Now, let's jump back to the teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Isn't it cool that we can ask God that kind of question? That that's the kind of example was that Jesus was to his disciples, that they could come to him and say, hey, would you teach us this? And he didn't go, oh, you guys. 
cats are idiots. Well, you've been in classes, right, where you're like, I am not going to raise my hand and admit that I don't know something because I know the way that I'll be treated if I do that. That obviously was not the tone of the way that Jesus led his disciples. He doesn't resist. He doesn't scoff. There's a, there's a verse that came to mind out of James. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. This is the kind of generous God that we serve. It's okay to be ignorant. (laughs) He's not going to rebuke you for a stupid question. We're all on this journey, you guys. And it's okay to ask him for help. It's okay to ask him to understand. I had a a meeting with uh, a guy named Eric in our ministry last week, and I was talking with him about his process to come to know God. He was telling me, he used this exact phrase. I wrote it down. Uh, he said there was a time in his life where I was praying to someone I wasn't even sure I believed in yet. You know, it's like all of us are in different spaces in this room of what it means to speak prayers out loud. And I have been in moments of prayer, you guys, where it felt like the Holy Spirit, where God was sitting next to me, kneecap to kneecap with me, and like we were just in a conversation. And I have been in spaces where it feels like God is a million miles away and my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And God doesn't judge me when I feel that way. I can just come to him in honest spaces and he doesn't rebuke me. I love that about him. The other thing I want you to notice in this too is that when Jesus tells us to pray this prayer, he actually says pray like this. That's important. He's not giving you a magic prayer. This is not a spell that you're casting, (laughs) which sometimes prayer gets a little funky that way. I heard uh, there was a a guy who released a book. I don't even remember what it was. well, actually, I do, but I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Um, but he released an entire book about prayers from the Old Testament, and if you prayed them word for word every day, guaranteed that X was going to happen for you, okay? Messed up. Messed up. This is not a formula. It is not an incantation. This is not Harry Potter where you have to practice the intonation and you get it, right, you get it just right. And if your expelliarmus goes okay, then the thing that you are conjuring happens. Okay? The Christian life is not like that. We're going to talk a little more about this later, but that whole thing about God not, not uh, your prayers not working because of your many words. You don't just get to repeat yourself and repeat yourself and repeat yourself, and God is waiting for the 781st time, and he's going to be like, okay, bingo. Just needed to know you could get there, all right? The magic isn't in your words. It's not what it is. He gives us this as a model to pray like this, and we will be exploring that for the entire rest of the semester. Now, before I get to some do's and don'ts in prayer, I want to get to a couple questions that, that people often ask, and one of them is this, why bother praying? Matthew 6 tells us that God knows what we ask for before we even ask it. So it begs the question, if he already knows what I'm going to say out loud, then why do I need to speak it? Because prayer is not about informing God, right? In that If I, at the end of my day, if Joe and I sit down to supper and I say, how was your day? I am asking because I don't know how her day was. And I need her to speak words to me so that we can communicate so that I can understand that. That is not the nature of what's happening with God. He's not sitting in ignorance waiting for you to catch him up to speed on your day and everything that's going on. Prayer is not about changing him that way. It is about changing you. 
It's because something different happens with you when you lean in with the God of the universe and say, God, here's what's going on with me. You will not feel connected with him unless you do that, unless you lead these things out to him. But it isn't about giving him information. He's all-knowing, right? And so some people also ask the question, if he's all-powerful, though, then what help can my prayers really be? And the answer to that is, I don't know. I really wish I knew. I, I believe it's true because he said that it's true. He said that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and that they are effective. He talks about answering prayer. Jesus prayed. He leaned into prayer to the Father. So I think that's a great question. You'll just have to take that up with him because the nature of how can a human's prayer affect an all-powerful God of the universe gets at a place that I'm not sure my brain can go to without almost exploding. So what I know is that he told us to lean in. He told us to ask. He encouraged us to be confident in that and told us that it matters. But it is not about changing him. It's about changing us. So question two, why why does it sometimes feel like God isn't listening? You know, why does it feel like sometimes God is close and sometimes God is is distant? Why Why do you feel ghosted? by God sometimes. Left on red. Can I use that phrase, right? Like you put this out there to God and you see the three little dots and the three little dots and you're like, I don't know. I guess he'll get back to me sometime. Um, A lot of that has to do with us, my friends. It has to do with us being fickle people. I told you a couple weeks ago, our God does not leave and come back. He isn't sleeping. He's not hungry. He didn't get worn out. He's present with you all the time with his people, but we do not see that and understand it. And oftentimes we have expectations that he'll speak back in very specific ways. And if he doesn't, it's those three little dots just cycling again, left on red. God, here I am. Would it make you feel any better to know that in Psalm 22, uh, David, who was a man after God's own heart, would cry out to him when he's in the midst of his sin and his brokenness and he messed up big time and he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Does it make you feel any better that David felt that? Where are you, God? I thought you said you'd be here. Why does it feel like you're ghosting me right now? Do those words sound familiar? They should because they're the same words Jesus himself, when he's suffering under the crushing weight of your sin and my sin, cried out to the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was what he was feeling, but it was also what he was quoting from Psalm 22. And if Jesus isn't exempt from that, and David isn't exempt from that, then you and I aren't exempt from that either. There'll be times where we will feel like God isn't close. He is. I promise he is. His presence does not come and go. So tonight, real quickly, I'm going to move through some of these real fast, some of these a little bit slower, but I, I, I think this is going to be pretty quick. I want to give you four things that Scripture tells us to do with prayer and four things that Scripture tells us not to do. would love for you to write these down in some form, only because I want them to be a part of those five times you choose this week. So if you refuse to, it's okay. But just, you can take a picture of what's on the screen because they'll be up there too. But four quick things that Scripture tells us to do and four quick things the Scripture warns us not to do. So the first do is this. Be confident. Be confident. James 5.15 says, Your prayer offered in faith can make a sick person well. 1 John 5.14 says, If we ask anything according to his will, it is heard. We can pray with confidence. Now here's the catch. 
We are not praying with confidence in a particular outcome, and that may sound what it, that may be what it sounds like. So you're like, okay, pray with confidence. God, give me a parking spot. Give me the right parking spot, all right? You can pray it with confidence. What I'm talking about is praying in the confidence of the one who has the ability to answer your prayer. You understand? Your confidence isn't in the outcome that you can picture in your head. Again, it's like, oh, if I can imagine it, then I can create it. It's like, that's not what, God, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Could the outcome, I mean, if you're praying for someone's healing, could that happen? Yes, God can do that. Believe that. Pray in faith on that. But I have to tell you that if God sees a better path and he knows a better path, he's not going to be like, well, I had a better path, but this dude prayed for healing, so that's what we're doing right now. So there's also this, this submission that comes. There's a moment in Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be murdered. They're about to be thrown in a fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. And I love their phrase. Because Nebuchadnezzar comes to them and he says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from you from my power? So they're about to die. It's a death sentence. And this is their response. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship that gold statue you set up. Do you you hear the confidence? They're like, God can save us from your furnace. The furnace is cute. We know that you made it really hot and that you want to murder us with it. We serve a God who's bigger than your furnace, scarier than your furnace. And I trust that he can save us from your furnace. And even if he doesn't, he still rescued us from you. You don't have power here. The moment where Jesus is standing in front of Pilate and he's talking about authority, that Pilate says, hey, Jesus, you understand that I have the authority for you to live or die. And Jesus isn't saying much at that time, but he looks at Pilate and he says, you don't have any authority except that which has been given to you. As Jesus is standing shackled in front of a government official, beaten bloody, you don't have any authority except that which has been given to you. Our confidence is in the God who can answer the prayer. I have, I mean, what I talked to you about my church earlier, I have a picture for what healing looks like for my church. I trust God knows better. I pray in confidence in the God who can heal, not the outcome that I necessarily want. So we do. We pray with confidence and faith, and we pray that in faith in the one who can answer our prayers. Two, be persistent. Be persistent. There are three specific parables that Jesus gives us about prayer. They're found in Luke 11 and Luke 18. And two of those three carry the exact same message, and they are pretty much this, be annoying. I'm not joking. You go read him, and it's like the, the moral of the story is keep going back to God. Don't give up on it. Be persistent with him. Annoy him with your prayers. You won't. He can handle it, okay? But that's the message. Jesus specifically goes out of his way to say that we are to be persistent. Now, again, if you mishear me on that, you're like, okay, well, then we sort of badger God into getting what we want. No, Martin Luther had a great quote. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. That would be badgering him. 
but laying hold of God's willingness. In other words, I believe if you're praying something kingdom-minded that God will want to answer that, but maybe that prayer isn't going to be answered for two more years because that's his timing. And so Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't pray once and then forget. Lay hold of that. Lean into that. Be persistent with that. And when the timing of God lines up with the request that you have been making, you will see unbelievable things happen. There was a prayer that Joe and I prayed for two and a half years. Two and a half years of something just we just needed with our family. We knew it was a godly prayer. We were like, God, we need you to, we don't know how to do this. We need you to help us. And he answered it. But he answered it after two and a half stinking years, you guys. There's a prayer for our ministry. I would love to be more specific, but I can't, that I have been praying for over a year, probably like 14 months, every day. And there are whispers of his answer, but not yet. I'll keep praying persistently. That's something that God asks of us. Next one, be constant. Be constant. Have this picture of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 tells us what the will of God is for our lives. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So Paul is saying that the idea of prayer is continual. It doesn't stop. It just keeps going on and on. You're like, Ben, I don't know how to do that. Well, if if your picture of prayer is this, that's kind of problematic because that means in class, this needs to be your posture, you know, like by your desk. And if you need to eat, you got to just sort of like do that off to the side. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul's talking about develop a sense in your life where prayer is like you realize God is with you all the time. You should be having weird, almost from the outside, schizophrenic looking conversations with God all the time. You walk into class and there's stuff that's going on. God, help me understand this right now. Help me remember this. God, would you encourage that person today? The Holy Spirit will bring stuff to your mind where it's like, oh yeah, I said I would pray for that. God, I know this person's walking through a rough time right now. Would you help them? Something will come to mind where you're like, man, I need to encourage that. I should send them a text. This is a part of my prayer life right now. And you're like, I'm praying for you right now, thinking about what you're walking through. You know what it's like to get one of those. Give them. Give them. There's a, a monk named uh, Brother Lawrence, I believe, who um, he washed dishes. For, that's what he did and, as a monk all day, every day. And he began this, what he called the practice of the presence of God as a discipline. What does it mean that the God of the universe is standing next to me washing dishes with me? And he describes in his book just the sweetness of what it means to realize that God doesn't come and go when I get into a certain position or a certain posture. And I'm just in regular conversation with him all the time. Be constant in your prayers with him. Never step out of it. Four, be creative. Be creative. This goes back to that idea of not heaping up empty phrases, that this is not some incantation to get what you want, all right? You have been in prayer circles before where you're like, how long is this person going to keep talking? I mean, like this has been, which again is okay. We're supposed to be persistent, but God isn't hearing you just because of lots of words, lots and lots and lots of words, or the specific right words. And so be creative. You can write your prayers. You can sing your prayers. Some worship songs are amazing prayers. You're like, I don't have a good voice. Well, then wait till your roommates are gone, just for their benefit, like as an act of mercy. Let them leave the apartment and sing out your prayers to him. 
Write them as notes of encouragement to someone else. Read other people's prayers, lots of beautiful prayers in Scripture. We don't do this a lot in the evangelical world, but in the liturgical world, the Catholic and Lutheran churches, some of the churches that maybe you guys grew up in, there's some beautiful written prayers. I wouldn't substitute those for your own, but what a beautiful thing to read some of the prayers other people have written and struggled through before you. Be creative. When we lived in Charleston, Illinois, uh, the Embarah River flowed really, like oh, just a few miles from our house, and I bought a kayak while we were down there. And I got to tell you, some of my, I, could, I could be on the water in nine minutes from them. If I decided, hey, I think I want to go kayaking, I could be on the water in nine minutes from our house, okay? And it was it, like, I want to temper your understanding of what's in your imagination right now. This is Charleston, Illinois. It was a brown little muddy river, okay? But it was beautiful for me. And I had lots of sweet spaces of prayer there, just looking around at creation and giving God praise for it. And when we moved to Bloomington, Illinois, I was so sad that there wasn't a river nine minutes away that I could put my kayak on. That's just a creative way to pray. How can you be creative this week in ways that you seek out the Lord? All right, four quick don'ts. Don't think that you need to use a lot of words. We've already hit this one, sort of, the heaping up empty phrases, but Jesus hits it so many times that I just have to make sure that you hear it. Do not heap up empty phrases. God cares about authenticity. Don't think that you have to do that or you're not doing it right. The next one, don't try to make yourself look great. Again, there's multiple warnings from Jesus in this way. When we start to do spiritual disciplines, Oftentimes, we like the way that other people see us in that. Pride is right there, and it is super ugly, and Jesus knows it. So he's like, hey, if you're going to fast, clean yourself up. Don't walk around looking. Like the Pharisees legitimately would walk around with tattered clothes, looking all frumpy and sad. So that some, I mean, it, it sounds like a joke, but it's true. So that when somebody would be like, what's wrong? I'm praying all day, and so I haven't been eating. So, so in the twisted, nasty, weird way, it would be like, I'm very religious, very close to God. Someday you'll look like this as well. It's like, man, you guys, so manipulative and messed up. And Jesus is like, don't do that. You are not praying to be seen by other people. This is a connection with the God of the universe that we're talking about. He's like, look for these things in the privacy of what happens between you and me. There should be beautiful things that happen in your world with the Lord that you don't have to run and share with other people because they're sweet with you and him. Chase those things. The third don't. Don't limit God by assuming you know the best outcome. And this is hard because I truly believe that it's okay to ask for a very specific mountain to be moved. I believe that with all my heart. I encourage you to do that and be persistent. I just don't want you to be surprised when God moves a different mountain and you're like, oh, I was praying for the wrong mountain because that happens all of the time. I'm like, God, I really see option A and option B as the two options here. I pray that you would do option A or do option B. Let your will be done, God. And he sees option Q, and he's like, yeah. Thank you for praying. Thank you for caring. But don't assume that you know more than him on how that can be answered. What you may never know right now is that some of the things that you have been praying as an act of mercy, God has not answered your prayer. Do you want to know 
how to create a monster of a human being, give them everything they want. You give an eight-year-old everything they want. Process this for a second. If God answered that prayer of, God, I really want to marry this, I want you to think for a second about your eighth-grade self, okay? Who would you be married to right now if God answered your eighth-grade prayer on who you should be married to? Let that sink in for just a second, right? He looks at the things that we pray for and says, I know what's best for you, child. I know what's best for you. And I can align those in my time. So don't limit God by assuming that option A and option B are the only options on the table. And last thing I want to give you tonight is don't believe God's your magic eight ball. Because some of us treat him that way. Like he's this vending machine to get what we want. And our faith is too immature to get real answers. So we do that. We're like, who should I date? And we look at it. Should I go to class today? (laughs) Maybe. It's like... Um, this is not who the God of the universe is. He is in relationship with you. He has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us. He's also given us maturity, and he's given us his word. So you guys, there are some questions that I don't have to ask. I don't even have to pray about them. If I'm sitting beside someone on, on an airplane, and I've just met them, and they're talking to me, and they're talking about how they've got spiritual questions, I, I don't have to sit and be like, Lord, please give me a sign if I should tell them about you. It's like, you guys, he's given me his priorities. If I have someone who just breaks down, and if I'm sitting at a bus stop and the person next to me breaks down and cries, all right, I'm an introvert. But still, like, I I understand God's priorities and who he cares about, and I, I don't even have to pray, God, should I put a hand on that person's shoulder and ask if they're okay? He'd be like, yeah. We made it, made it clear. <laughs> like, at what, what point of love your neighbor, what part of love your neighbor do you not understand, child? All right? So understanding God's character and who he is answers a lot of that. I don't have to treat him like that magic eight ball. Matter of fact, as soon as I get to know his character, a lot of those questions become answered already. And it's like, God, I know this is your will. Help me do it. Empower me in it. Let me become something unique that you want to create as a part of this. So, to go back through all of those, do be confident, do be persistent, do be constant, do be creative, don't think you need to use lots of words, don't try to make yourself look great, don't limit God by assuming you know the best outcome, and don't believe God's your magic eight ball. Two beautiful promises that come out of Romans 8, and then I'm done for tonight. Romans 8, 26, that tells us that when we don't know what we ought to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. I've had those prayers the last three days. God, I don't even know what to pray or how to pray it. Holy Spirit, would you intercede for me? Would you, just, would you speak on my behalf? Because you know what my spirit's crying out. Would you translate that for me? Romans 8.34, just a few, a few verses later, it says that uh, Jesus, the Son, stands to the, to the right side of the Father interceding for us on our behalf. Just these two tender pictures of prayer in Romans 8 of the Holy Spirit helping us, Jesus interceding for us. So you guys, that's the lecture of prayer. I'm just, again, all these different verses on this is what Scripture encourages us to do. This is what Scripture encourages us to stay away from. 
And I'm handing that to you and saying, please seek out five unique spaces this week where you meet with the Lord. They don't have to be long. They don't have to be ornate. And they don't even have to be pretty. But make each one a little bit different. If you're clueless as to how to do that, grab somebody else here and ask them. But I want to lean in. Because honestly, for the rest of the semester, we're going to be praying this prayer and we're going to be asking ourselves, what does it mean to connect in prayer with the God of the universe? And who is, is he anyway to want that with us? And obviously, when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, we don't even know how to do this, he's, it's no judgment. It's no judgment. He says, oh, pray like this. So we're going to do that. After we're done with worship tonight, I'm going to pray in just a second, but after we're done with worship tonight, the stuff that I talked about before with church, if you, if you got hurts in you that you want to talk to somebody about, we'll be around tonight or we'll be around this week. You want to set up a time to talk more, we're here. But I'm also encourage, encouraging you to minister to each other that way. It doesn't have to be a professional conversation, all right? If there's hurts here, let's be the body that ministers to each other and lean into a God who wants to partner with us in that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for not withholding from us uh, what prayer is and how to talk to you and how to talk to your Father. And I pray, God, as each person in this room just seeks out those small spaces, uh, takes one or two little baby steps toward you, that you would take a thousand steps toward us. Um, I pray for my home church. Jesus, thank you for the other churches in the community that have been praying. Thank you for the prayers that will happen tomorrow night. Uh, with the collegiate day of prayer. Thank you for the prayer meeting that'll happen on Thursday uh, where the campus ministers will pray together. Thank you for the way that you are alive and working in lots of different ministries, lots of different churches. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you have been alive and well for thousands of years as incense has raised its way to the heavens representing the prayers of your people. Thank you for knowing that we are such a small part of such a much larger picture that is beautiful in your eyes. Thank you for making it beautiful. And so our little feeble attempts to throw our arms up at the sky, God, I pray that you'd meet us in that space. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.